welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. So I'm Tony Bromley and welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Uh, This is season two and in season two we're talking to presenters from the Researcher Education Development Scholarship Conference of 2022. Um, The conference theme was how do we stop losing talent in research careers and I'm delighted today we have the conference keynote presenter so Professor Louise Awuzu-Kwarteng from University of Greenwich. Hello to you, how are you feeling today? I'm good thank you, I'm good, I'm, I'm much happier than I was this morning. You know sometimes when it's just like you know clutter but like you know it's about clearing clutter so it's yes. all good. <laughs> Excellent, Are we um, we'll talk a little bit beforehand about it. having a little icebreaker where we mentioned something Ooh. about each other. Um, you mentioned bass guitar playing and Nottingham Forest. Do you want to forget Nottingham Forest for a moment at second in the Premier League? Second bottom, sorry, not second. Yeah. How about the bass um, guitar playing? <laughs> um, yeah, so, I, I'm, well, I'm, I'm not the best at playing it. I mean, what it is, is that, like, you know, I'll pick up tunes really, really quickly. I can't read music, you know, I pick I, I learn it by ear. But my thing is, is because I don't practice, so I'm not as good as I could be. Do you know what I mean? It's just oh, like absolutely. <laughs> and then I, you know, I play it a few times, and then, and also because it's because of time. But I think I could be a lot. I'm not going to lie. I think I could be a lot better. I've got some tunes down pat, but you know, I need to be better. I need to be much better. Forest. I mean, it's okay. You, you know, like I can take it because sometimes where we start isn't always where we're going to end up. So, you know, I mean, I was I was very, very, very pleased the day that they got promoted. It was the day before my birthday, which was just fantastic. Excellent. But, um, you know, we would just need to win a few more matches. <laughs> That's, I think there's, there's probably some metaphors in what we've just described about practice and keep yeah. trying and all these sort of things. In um, there. Yeah. Um, but let me come to the uh, con- the main content of what we were going to talk to you about today uh the Mm. keynote presentation um your title was uh, our expertise is going to waste reflections on disengagement of women and students from marginalized groups in research activity now in the uh, abstract for the for the presentation itself uh, you did pose a couple of questions and that's what i wanted Mm. to a focus on if we could and of course they're not they're not small um questions as it were so mm-hmm. one of the first questions that you you posed was how do we redress the balance to ensure that there is equality in terms of opportunities for research so where um and, you know I, I kind of saw there's a broad thought and where would i where would i start so where do we start with with that question do you think Okay, so I think one of one of the things is first of all looking at what it is that people do. So, I mean, when I talk about marginalised groups in this context, I'm thinking of women, people who identify as women, and also people from minority ethnic groups. And when you look at the research, a lot of it tends to show that you know these people, us, because you know that that includes me as well. What, what we end up tending to do is we tend to we end up to in a lot of kind of like pastoral care, which, you know what, I mean, I think this is what we're very, very good at. But the thing is, because we are doing so much of that, this means that 
we're maybe not doing as much as the other things that we need to do in order to progress um, through the academic system if that's what we want to do, all right? So, I mean, I'm just thinking, for example, in terms of personal tutoring. I know in my own experience, I remember at one point having like 71, which was more than a lot of people. And, you know, like I was trying to do this, trying to balance it with lots of other things that I was so, doing. So you were so, tutoring 71 people at the same time? Yeah. Yep. right <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was a lot it was a lot and the thing is I, I didn't mind it I you know I'm, I'm always happy to give support to the students but it was a lot and you know like what what tended to happen was you know the students tended to gravitate towards me and I noticed this happened with a lot of other females as well because we'll give them the time so I think what needs to be done is we need to probably have a little bit of a mapping thing to have a look at what people's workloads are I mean I know they say that they do it but but something is going wrong somewhere you know look at look at look at all the things that are being done and then just see where the breakdown is are people being given enough time to to do the research and if if not how do we redress that okay so that that's what i would do to be honest that that's yes. how i would kind of do it um if we're talking about sort of like black and minority ethnic group or other marginalized groups i think this even starts before you know, they get into academia because when they're at school, for example, a lot of people are told, you know, like if you belong to a marginalized group, chances are it's going to be that, you know, you, you might be told oh, don't, not, not to go to university or like, you know, higher education isn't for you or for whatever reasons. And this is because of low expectations. You know, people might make it there. But then, you know, sometimes if these experiences are rehashed in the education system, you're not seeing anyone that looks like you, that might be a mentor in order to help you to progress and everything. This can have a knock on effect as well. This, you know, this can influence decisions. People might think, well, it's not worth it. And then just decide that, OK, well, I'm just once I finish my degree, I'm not continuing in academia and I'm not going on to do any more research. So, again, you know, I think we need to reframe the narrative and reframe what we're telling our students, how we're supporting them in terms of kind of through their degree and potentially becoming academics. I'm not saying that everybody should become an academic, but you know, this is a route, this is a route. So how do we get them there? So that, that's my thoughts. Well, I was, I was intrigued, um, just something you said about changing uh, narratives. And mm. somebody uh, just pointed out to me something about using a phrase such as uh, difficult to reach groups, mm. because that, in you know, once they started talking about it, I can understand that that actually is a loaded statement in itself because that seems to imply that the group is making itself difficult to reach. So there must be, I guess there's a number of things like that, which even changing day-to-day -day language would make a difference. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I remember, so, you know, before I came into academia, I used to work um, like in local government and sort of like within the community and that was the terminology that was being used and I can tell you that these people were not hard to reach you know they weren't yeah. hard to reach people were there but it's how we engage with them you know that I think that's all and it's, it'll be the same thing in academia because it's about because again sort of like you know labeling people hard to reach as you said it is about it's almost like you're putting the blame on them yes. for not engaging but sometimes it's got it's not that it doesn't work like that it doesn't work like that at all you know people want to be engaged but like if people uh, you know like if they're sort of being given a negative narrative 
or they're buying or you know tutors or whoever's buying from sort of like societal narratives about these groups and then just having these low expectations of them then of course you know like people they're just going to want to distance themselves but I think it's a yeah I mean I think labeling people is hard to reach I I don't think that's the one to be honest well it suggests to me that um in a sense there's a laziness there that actually you are the one that's hard to reach so I don't need to modify my behavior it's you that's hard to reach um just moving on to the, the, the second question you pose in your abstract mm. um which I, I was just a really interesting question for me to, to think about mm. you said do we need to relook at what counts as an expert in higher education so do mm. yeah do we indeed need to relook at this yeah yeah because i think I've, well first of all because I, I teach um a module and it's called education and social formation and we were kind of we were kind of looking at what constitutes correct not correct knowledge but like um acceptable knowledge right so you know when you think about it you think about the fact that like for example there's a lot well i'd say there's lots of different levels here so subjects areas like things like stem okay um you know social sciences and humanities not regarded as much so there's that aspect of it but then also you know even when we're talking within sort of like social sciences etc you know like there are certain areas there's some really like specific areas of expertise that you know like that might not be considered as valid as as valid or valuable or like you know for example if people do um do a lot of work around pastoral care um you know as i've said before you know you do tend to certain, find certain groups doing that why if they like doing that why is it that you know this can't be turned as a form of, this can't be valued as a form of kind of like past um as a form of expertise why can't it be valued a lot more because i don't feel like it's valued enough do you know what i mean it's seen as something that is expected but then it's also not seen as something that is valued enough. So I think that, you know, people are very, very good at this particular area. Why not help them to sort of like, you know, develop their expertise and then use that as a framework for expertise so that it's teaching other people? Because, I mean, I know that, for example, in our, in our university, one of the things that our, you know, our vice chancellor is very, very keen to do is to, obviously, it's about making and educational experience very, very positive for students and trying to make them understand, you know, give them that sense of belonging, give them that sense of home and stuff like that. But that sense of belonging is created by the support that is being given to the students. So like, you know, how do people with that level of expertise use that to, to make policies and, you know, to, to use that in their research or use that in, in, in any other way to make things better? Do you yes. see what I mean? Do you yeah, absolutely. There was, yeah. um, I can't remember the full details of it, of it, but I think there was an article in recently in the media uh, that they mm-hmm. described, um, it, it was in business context, I think, but they said people doing um, business housework. So, yeah. and also that women were more likely to be the ones doing the business housework, as it mm-hmm. were, and it wasn't valued in the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's that sort of, I think, kind of sort of metaphor that, you're talking about and why we don't value it mm. <laughs> yeah mm, mm, mm. Um, I mean I'm all, sorry sorry to no, it's okay. you, I'm no, carry on. reminded of um 
I think it was Sylvia Walby. I mean, this is this is like back in the day, and she was a Marxist feminist. And I remember looking at her when I was a sociology student, and she was saying how you know when you actually look at the work that women do, not just in the home, but like you, I mean, it's largely in the private sphere, but you know, in a way, it can be applied to the public sphere as well. It's not valued enough and if we were to start getting paid for our ex the work that we do in those areas I mean I guess we could be really really rich so you know I I just think that okay even it should be valued more it should be valued more financially but then it should be just valued more in terms of like you know expertise and I think that's going to take a very very long time before anyone recognizes how important it is but it is important it really is yeah, absolutely and there's um, one of the themes, again, in, in the PhD at the moment is this notion of hidden curriculum, which um, yeah. colleagues have, have written about, um, Kei yeah. Guccione and colleagues, for example. So, yeah. And I think that that may also be a, a similar type metaphor. There's, there's yeah. hidden, well, it's not hidden because um, when you're tutoring that many people, as you said, 70, 72, whatever it was, it, it's not hidden yeah. from you, but it's yeah. hidden from expertise or what we value as expertise. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, not only is it not hidden from me, but because it's done and because you're doing it, I'm not saying that it's hidden from others, but it's almost, again, it's not, it's not always talked about. I mean, this isn't just in relation to my own experience, but like, you know, it's just not talked about anywhere. Do you, do you see what I mean? So yeah. I think, yeah, so it is. And also, you know, going back to the fact that there needs to be more value. I mean, I think about the emotional labor that it's costing, you know, and it's not yes. always sort of recognized. Um, there's a whole load of, you know, Hochschild, Ali Hochschild, she writes a lot about um, emotional labor. And I think it can be applied in lots and lots of contexts, including in academia. Yes, absolutely. Um, mm. I'm just moving on to actually the third question that we had. Mm. Um, I think we've started to touch on, so just be interested if there's anything further you wanted to add. So mm. as well as, um, looking at what counts as expertise you also said um we should reconsider what is seen as valuable work in this context so we kind of touched on that a little bit was there anything you want to to add on what is seen as valuable work yeah do you know what i mean i think there's a there's a wider question here because or a wider issue because like you know you think about the fact that the universe the education system not just universities it's becoming marketized right yes. no it's not becoming it is marketized <laughs> yes. right so you know you've got these league tables and everything which is creating lots of issues but you know like it or not it's there so I think that in order to be able to if if we it's there and it's something that we've got to work with. So, you know, if you want to move up and stuff, I mean, and, you know, you'll see you have lots of staff who are providing that kind of um, emotional work and in supporting your students and all this and the other. This is why I think it needs to be I think it needs to be valued more because these things really contribute to the move you know for movement should i say movers upwards in the tables because sometimes you see some institutions which unfortunately may be known for the the way that they deal with their students and everything and you see them not doing so well in these particular their overall student experience you see them not doing so well in those particular areas so this is why i think you know it needs to be valued a bit more than it is 
Yeah, absolutely. I guess this is the Dora work as well in terms of how you evaluate research environments and our education in general to shift it away from uh, we've had many years of uh, numbers counting, haven't we? For yeah. how many how many papers, how much money? That's that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think the thing is as well. Sometimes it's not good for people to be to be because I mean, first of all, people need the time to be able to do these papers. But then on the other hand, you don't want to be churning out a load of papers that aren't of any good quality because that's quite that's kind of soul destroying. It's probably better to have time to write a few really good ones and things that you know your expertise in and something that you know you can you can develop and whatnot than to be right churning loads and loads and loads of rubbish yeah absolutely mm. um i'm just conscious with i think i said that we'd be able we'd speak for about 20 minutes or so and i think we're nearly yeah. there um so i just wanted to pull things together and just by way of summary you've mentioned a number of things as we as we've gone through um for our listeners, uh, one or two particular things that you'd like people to remember or take forward with them. You know, we've talked about how to redress the balance inequality. Mm-hmm. I mean, are there one or two things even any one of us can be doing on a day to day basis or think about things that would make collectively some sort of difference? I just over t- over to you in terms of how you <laughs> what messages could we take forward? Yeah, I okay. So in relation to the students and stuff, I mean, first of all, I think. we all need to like look at our biases and stuff I mean and and remember that sometimes the way that people think about students is is shaped by the way that society tell what they tell you about those particular groups and I think we need to shift that narrative and you know be encouraging towards them so like you know sort of looking at people as being hard to reach or underperforming and everything look at what their potential are and if there are any for example research projects or research initiatives within universities encourage them to do that right encourage them to be doing that because that might change their perception of research that might change the perceptions of their own abilities and could contribute to sort of you know getting them into these careers not necessarily you know not necessarily through academia but it could be through somewhere else but might change the perception of research The other thing as well is just like, you know, we just need to value what people are doing more. And as I say, broaden that idea of expertise because and brought and and be more, um, you know, recognizant of the value of the pastoral care. And those are the, you know, those are the soft skill, not soft skills, but things that people are doing that invest in their energies in, because if you don't, you know, first of all, people are going to get resentful, but like, these things are a form of soft power which can help to improve you know the whole environment of the of a program or of the university and everything so I think it's about recognizing the value of those things. Thank you for talking to us it was really a pleasure to hear your views Um, that rounds up our um, episode Um, so thank you for our listener there will be other episodes in the series where we'll be talking to um, further presenters from Reds Conference. So uh, we'll say goodbye and th- goodbye from me. Thank you and goodbye from Louise. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. 
email us at academicdevleads.ac.uk. Thanks for listening, and here's to you and your research culture.